All right, y'all. Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What's up, dude? Not a whole lot, man. Just running around on a Tuesday afternoon, getting after it, excited for our guest today. Yes, sir. And speaking of that guest, we have Paul Robbins on the line with us tonight. Um, that's He's done so many different things. I'm just going to introduce him as just an overall awesome guy. He He's done everything in the world of sports science. Um, and I'm actually going to kick it off to Paul to talk to us a little bit about what he's been doing. So, Paul, take it on away. Um, thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I've, I've done a lot just because I'm old. Uh, so I've been <laughs> around this uh, sports science uh, well before it was even called sports science. We didn't call that. We didn't have sports science when I went to co- uh, college. Uh, <laughs> you came out as an exercise physiologist and you figure out where you're going to go from there. Right. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, uh, now, uh, you know, my main job is uh, analyzing in-game data uh, for elite sports, mainly the NBA, uh, NHL, NBA, I'm sorry, NFL, and uh, the latest one now is uh, tennis. So we take uh, actual raw data from the games that people don't even know that exist and uh, design conditioning programs and uh, performance metrics from uh, from this data. So that's 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 my latest uh, project. I've been doing it for about 15 years now. So Okay, that's awesome. And I, I didn't even think about that until I talked to you yesterday, being able to use the raw data and use the actual data analytics to make conditioning programs instead of just like relying on metrics that you do in the gym, right? Or like exercise testing that all of us know. You can do it off of actual in-game data and then allow that to be personalized to the athletes too, which seems way cooler. It gets my gears turning. <laughs> yeah. So my background is, uh, again, because it's actually physiology. My, my degree is in uh, um, the metabolics. Okay. So VO2 testing was my biggest thing. That's what I was known for. I've uh, been doing that since the late 90s. Um, thousands and thousands of athletes. Not really your typical athletes that you're thinking about, which is endurance. I've, I do endurance athletes now. Now I still do some, but I specialized even back in uh, the late 90s, um, basketball players, football players, baseball, uh, hockey. Um, so more team sports than the endurance because plenty of people, there's lots of, you can find a lot of endurance co- coaches, uh, but there wasn't a lot doing energy system programming for a football player or an elite basketball player. So uh, that's what I specialized in. Um, And I worked at many know it as EXOs now, but uh, when I was there uh, for 12 years, it was uh, athletes performance. So that's where I did a lot of my testing. Um, And we did the VO2 testing, just like you were talking about. We, We did it to design conditioning programs but then when i found this technology that we can the tracking technology then we decided to uh look at it in a different way because they track it to look at strategies and how far people are from each other and spacing and um guys in the right position things like that i started looking in a different way and and looking like wait a minute i can tell you how fast they go how well they accelerate decelerate um how far they're gone, um, different types of loads. And we can now design our energy systems based off of actual game data, opposed to putting them on a treadmill and making them run. So uh, so that's what I, uh, this is my 13th season in the NBA. 
uh, and this will be uh, our, I've been doing it with the uh, USTA Training Center um, for the last few years at the Training Center, but this will be the first year that we're actually going to be doing it at the U.S. Open as, as well, so. Wow, that uh, that whole process sounds intriguing because I think exactly like what you were saying. I think there's still a lot of strength coaches that don't want to wade into the kind of the muddy waters of uh, energy system development of like metabolics, and they'd rather stick to the tried and true what we know is power and strength, right? I feel like that still kind of dominates the field, where and especially in mixed martial arts with building fire, like there's no ignoring the conditioning factors of that. There's no ignoring the energy system development, so. Again, that process sounds intriguing to me. And I was wondering, Paul, if you could walk us through just the whole process, even from like game level observation, what data you're collecting, how you're um, diluting that down, what KPIs or key performance indicators you're looking at, and then how that eventually evolves into a uh, conditioning program. Because again, we all have our tried and true methods or our ways that we see how energy systems can work. But what's that process look like from observing the game all the way to, all right, this is your now, your strength, your, this is your conditioning protocol? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And um, I'll, I'll try to give you a good overview of what we do. Basketball <laughs> probably be the best one to uh, sure. to do because I've been doing it for so long. But, you know, the, the number one thing to me is, uh, you know, I'd go in and see these guys doing these conditioning and, they, you know, they're going, all right, you're going 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off or one minute or two minutes. I'm like looking, I was like, okay, that's great. And there's times, and because I, I, I developed uh, years ago uh, five phases of ESD. And, and there is a phase that we, 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 that phase of doing one and two minute type of intervals is to improve anaerobic threshold. So there's definitely a place for it, but that's not the actual demands of the sport uh, in most cases. Um, you're not doing, uh, hockey is a perfect example. Uh, hockey, everybody talks about doing the wind game. Uh, everybody's familiar with the wind gate it's an all-out 30 second sprint it's absolutely brutal and i'm supposed to tell you you know who's the best uh hockey player condition wise it's like well nobody on the ice goes 30 seconds all out it's not long enough you can't right uh so so we actually things like that we looking at the actual demands of the sport is what we're doing and based off of this game data we can do that and we designed a uh hockey protocol um even a, a Wingate hockey protocol, which is 45 seconds, but it's actually broken up to four different sprints inside that 45 seconds, opposed to an all-out 45-second sprint. So that's what we're really trying to do is go back and understand what is the demands of the sport in basketball. It's basically three times up and down the court before something happens, a timeout, ball goes out of bounds, there's a stoppage of play of some kind. So I want to work on the demands that they have doing multiple little segments of sprints, active recovery, we'd call it, sprint again, active recovery. So that's what this uh, data has really been able to do is I can, first of all, figure out the demands of the sport, but then more important, then I can actually do it individualized to that player. It's like, this is the pattern that you actually run on the court. How often you sprint, how often you recover, how much you're moving in between, things like that. So when I design an ESD program for them, I'll design it based on what they, how they actually play. And they buy into it much easier than me saying, all right, we're going to do one-minute sprints now. Uh, they're like, what are we doing this for? But if I show them this is the actual pattern in the game, this is what happens in this five-minute period of time, you did this many sprints at this level. 
then like, oh, all right, but I can do it on a VersaClimber. I can do it on a rower. Anything that I can generate power, I can mimic the gain demands based off of uh, what we see in, in, the, in this camera data. So that's where we've really gone. Um, and that's our final phase. We have five phases, like I said. Right. That fifth phase is our sport-specific. We will go into that um, and work on the actual demands of the sport. Well, man, that's so that's so interesting because we've had this talk on the podcast, me and Alex, multiple times. Where, like, say we so we both wrestled D three. We actually, I saw in on your LinkedIn, you went to SUNY Cortland, right? I did. Yes, we used to wrestle them at national. We I, we went to uh, Wisconsin Lacrosse. Sure. Okay. okay. I, I, I know all those little small Wisconsin schools, very similar to uh, New York, all the small uh, same system. Yes, yep. exactly. so we, yep. we used to wrestle Cortland all the time at national duels, which I, I think is super cool. Um, yeah. But so we talk we all the time. Right. It's true. We did usually win. <laughs> um, but in wrestling, you can find places to hide, right? We, we always equate wrestling to a lack. It's just a lactic test for the most part. It's three minutes on, then you get 40 seconds off. Then two minutes on, you get like, 40 seconds off and you get another two minutes on. Right. But I, as a higher level wrestler, you know where you can cheat the system. Same with like MMA, like cage wrestling, you know, that you can take breaks, you know, that you can, you can take a breath in this position because you're safe and that's your style. So mimicking it, it'd be really interesting to look at it through your lens, um, through a KPI lens and try to make the conditioning match their fight style, which I don't really think has been done yet, which I know yeah. that the PI tries to the P the PIs has their cameras around the cage and they, they do some stuff, but they're not actually tracking real fight data for the most part. So that's an interesting way because the big thing, like Alex said, you can't hide conditioning in MMA. You can hide conditioning as an offensive lineman in the NFL. You're only, you're only playing eight seconds at a time. If, if you're going five minutes at a time, you're going to get found out real quick. If you're not ready for that. And are you conditioned for your fight style? Not just, are you conditioned for a fight? which are two completely separate things. Yeah, so the right. same thing with basketball, right? If whether you're a center or a point guard, those are two completely different demands upon that player. So it's just cool to think about because it's the field of conditioning has gone so far, but then to Alex's point, so many people just rely on the strength and power because they're comfortable with it. When in reality, this is probably where we can make the most gains for our athletes moving forward is the thing that not everybody's comfortable with yet, but we know has such a high return on your investment. Yeah. And, and that's what set me apart when, uh, especially when I started with Mark Versagan at uh, Athletes Performance, that's why he brought me in. It's like we wanted to set up. We had strength coaches. We had speed coaches. We had uh, therapists. Um, every and people would go to a different coach. So if you, when you came into uh, AP back then, you would start off with somebody might be doing your movement, and somebody might be doing the strength, and they might do speed, and then they'd end with me. They always yeah. end with me, <laughs> and I would do the conditioning. And, uh, you know, so every half hour I had a different group that came in and did conditioning. We based it off of what sport they are and, and, and again, what phase they were in. Um, but, and guys would come to me all the time. said, oh man, we just did heavy legs, man. My legs are tired. I said, perfect. This is the time to go. It's like, my whole job is the end of whatever you're doing. If it's wrestling, if it's, if it's basketball, I'm just there for the fourth quarter. I, mm-hmm. Soccer. I'm just there for the last 10 minutes. I'm not going to make you stronger. I'm not going to make you faster. I'm certainly not going to teach you to be a better uh, football player or uh, whatever sport you're in. But whatever skills those other coaches taught you, my job is to make sure they're still there at the end. And uh, so that's my focus. So it, it could be in wrestling. I wrestled 
uh, I wrestled in high school. No, uh, no way. So that's awesome. Anti, uh, and that's how we actually got introduced through uh, Chris. So because of, uh, yeah. yeah, because I was I, I helped out with the ASU wrestling uh, team for a couple of years. Um, so it was that demands that where I was really trying to stress. It's like. I, I don't, I'm not too worried about the beginning and or how hard I'm owed to your style, but I really want to make sure that, okay, at the end of every period, you have that burst. Yeah. We have one more burst in you than if you needed it. So we always talk about that in MMA. The last 10 seconds of the round are what matters the most to the judges. You're like, you ever seen John Jones in a title fight? He wins the last 10 seconds every single round that he's in. Yeah, and that, uh, there's a reason why the man hasn't really lost a fight. I mean, it was one BS top of the head call, but I don't really count that. He's really undefeated, and he's the best to ever do it. And it's, he steals the round. Same with Demetrius Johnson or Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo steals the end of the round every fight, and you yeah. just got to end on top. Yeah, the ability yeah. to finish is not just this mythological, like, oh, that guy's a finisher. That guy, make sure he wins. It's like that guy has enough gas in the tank, or he's planning ahead to have the gas in the tank, right? So I, I'm – I'm all in on this approach that uh, you kind of outlined there, Paul. I like it eliminates the guess, right? Like, it's not like, okay, I have a striker in front of me. What if they have to grapple? And all right, so I need to make sure their lactic capacity is up to par. So we're going to do our whole fight camp based around lactic capacity, right? So it's not like we're not necessarily guessing for what might happen in the fight. Now we're looking at actual real objective data of your fight history. How do you fight? What typically happens? And then we're going to plan a plan around that data and it's just again for me it eliminates the guesswork and it can help us uh more accurately and more precisely nail the target when it comes to the the um i guess kind of the big shadow that is conditioning quote unquote. yeah and, and then we use the conditioning also as a as a gauge it's like how we are improving how are we starting to overtrain um so the conditioning so people ask me how often do i test somebody when i was training i test them every single day Basically, I know this is where they should be at today. I should be able to do this many sprints or whatever uh, what I'm, I'm looking for. This is how much power I should be able to push on the on the bike today, whatever. And if they can't hit those numbers, then I start looking and say, all right, now we got to look at the whole program. We're going to look at nutrition, sleep. All right. If something's not, you know, uh, it could be one bad day, no big deal. But if we start seeing a trend, that's how my conditioning is also going to tell me that. I'm going to pull back and say, all right, we got to look at the big picture because something is we're, – we're trending the wrong way. Uh, and if you don't measure it, you'll never know. So that's the other thing. It's like people go, oh, we do one-minute sprints. It's like, okay, well, how fast are you going? What was your heart rate? What was your heart rate recovered, which is even more important? If you don't measure it, then I don't know if you're actually doing it. Um, For sure. So we measure power. That's, that's where the camera systems came in. It's like I know exactly how fast you're going now. Uh, I know when you can accelerate, and uh, I know what the loads are. And we looking really at, like in the NBA, I'm looking at a 14 day window because one game you can easily have off, um, or, or it's just the, the competition you're going against, um, and your numbers could be low. So we look at a three day trend over 14 days, uh, and uh, those are the types of things that we look for. It's like okay, if I start seeing a trend that's going off, then I need to make an adjustment. So. Okay. And so with that, are you able to, so it's essentially like it's, it's a readiness score, if you will. Correct. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're using the objective data from, is it, I, I guess I technically, is it, it's a camera system. 
I'm assuming. So uh, there's there's different ways that you can do it in, in basketball and, and in the tennis that we're going to be doing. Those are both optical systems, so the cameras around the uh, the court, um, and they're tracking uh, the movement of every player every quarter of a second. So that way we we know if you're and it's X Y coordinates on the okay. on the court. So it's like if you you travel from here to here in this much time, then we obviously can calculate speed uh, and then we calculate distance from that. Uh, so so that's what cameras. Then there's also uh, RFID tags, radio frequency tags uh, that some systems we use those more in practices where they'll have or in the NFL they have two uh, tags in their shoulder pads. Um, and that's the same thing. It's it's basically um, instead of tracking like the whole body that uh, an optical system would do, uh, this is actually now the sensors of these anchors are uh, tracking those tags that are on the on the person. So and get the same type of X Y coordinate. Yeah, at a university I worked in, I had some experience with like the accelerometers, like catapult. Um, yeah. We're tracking GPS data, and then now I rem- I know the catapult system. Is tracking the distance and the changes in speed over, you know, your practice period, your prolonged time or whatever. And it would kind of spit us out. It wouldn't spit us out the raw data, though. It would give us stress level, stress scores or overall yeah. workload type of stuff. Is that kind of where you're seeing your um, data come from? Or are you looking at the raw data and then you put it into your own system? to determine the stress. Correct. Yeah. We take the raw data from whoever it is. Um, the, so in foot in the NFL, it's zebra. It's in, in it's a uh, second spectrum in the NBA. It's Hawkeye in, in the, um, in, in tennis. Uh, so whatever system they use, uh, the company that I am partnered with is called Connexon. Uh, and Connexon is an RFID company. They also have a GPS that they're just putting out as well. So similar to a, a catapult, but we take the raw data from any of those in uh, opposed to someone like um, a catapult or there's other, there's plenty of other ones like that. They will only use their data and they'll only use their algorithms. We're open to going, okay, this, there's, there's a lot out there. Uh, so we want to be able to pull in raw data from anybody and then match it up um, because, because leagues change Teams change their their companies all the time, so we work with the raw data. Uh, so no matter who they change to, um, we're 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 all set. So okay. Love it. So the big question is, and whenever we talk to people about implementing new technology, is how did you guys get all the coaches on on board with this? Because <laughs> uh, try, trying to convince like sport coaches that this is something they need to do. To me, it seems like that's always the hardest part. <laughs> oh yes, and it, it, it certainly is, and it's it's obviously gotten much better than you know it was 13 years ago at this time with the NBA. Because uh, when we first started it, because it's again it's an optical system, most people, meaning the the players and the coaches, they didn't even know this was happening. Uh, when we started, we only had four teams, and then we went to six teams, and eventually ten. And once we got to 15, that's when the league goes, oh, you know, what? maybe we should do this for everybody. Okay. Um, so there'll be t- there was times back then when we first started. It's like a, a team. Well, the Phoenix Suns was were a client, so we had the cameras in there. But another team like Miami or Oklahoma City, somebody like that, they could come in to Phoenix. We would collect the data on the uh, the opposing team because their cameras. Nobody right. you know uh, nobody even knew what was going on. And then I would go to that team to Miami and say, Hey, 
look what this is what uh, your players were doing. They're looking, how did you get this? Oh, that's genius. I you were that. you're you're in Phoenix, so we, we got it. <laughs> um, so and eventually you know, that's now at that then when the league got involved, it's like everybody's like, Oh, okay, this is this is very important. So um and I work with I've worked with twenty-eight of the thirty NBA teams. Okay. Currently under contract, I have 25 teams. There's, there's uh, coaching staffs changes all the time. So that 25 teams uh, could, uh, you know, change around every year. Uh, still usually around 25 teams, but it, it could be different teams sometimes. So, but, so I've worked with almost every team. And uh, over the years, these guys have definitely, they're just buying into it. And that you buy into little pieces at a time. And each team might be a little bit different. What I give one team, I might not give another one because they don't, this is the report that they want. This is the report they can give to their head coach. Uh, and I've actually been to teams um, and I'll go and do a presentation, you know, in the off season to the team. And I have to have a separate presentation for the GM and another presentation for the head coach because they want completely different things. Yep. So, so you, you listen to what they want and then you build it around them. That's just cool. being a good businessman, good coach, right? For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. exactly so you just yeah um so yeah it's but it, now with technology it's it's uh you know most people have heard about you know have used gps systems or know about them now so the younger players they buy into it pretty quickly so right they almost kind of expect it when they get to that level it, exactly because they did it in college so you yeah. know what uh, uh, so no big deal you put the tag in. you know 10 years ago when i was asking guys to, to put a tag on they they wouldn't do it uh, well, now it's like oh, it's they think they're going to shoot you with five G rays or something like that. Exactly, I can imagine some <laughs> brushback from the the players. Like, I don't want you tracking everything that I'm doing because then you you'll say that I'm not working hard enough. You'll try and work me more or anything like that too. I, I can definitely see some controversy kind of there. Oh, and that still goes on. There is no, yeah. still some of that going on right now. It's like, um, you yeah. know, so you got some veterans that still don't in practice might not want to wear it. I mean, you got one or two players on a team. Um, but, um, but, and there, and those are the ones that, you know, they always say this, you know, it could hurt me in my contract. It's like, no, it's probably, it's going to help you where right. the whole thing. And, and again, the, it comes down to the performance staff and the strength coaches at that team. They know how to handle it. They know how to use it. Uh, and, and wh who, what players to talk to who nobody sees it. So the data that I do in the NBA, most people don't hardly anybody even knows it even exists. Because my contract with them is that I can only give my data back to NBA teams. It doesn't go out to media. It doesn't. I can't write any uh, research papers. I, I do research, but I can only give that back to teams. Yeah. Uh, I can't publish anything, uh, which is fine. I mean, I'm I'm happy. I'm the guy that nobody even knows exists, uh, and, and the data that nobody even knows about. That's um, a bad place to be. Yeah, and, and we will give them. Some, we'll give you average speed and. Uh, distance covered. It's like those are, you know, media likes little things like that. That's not what we're using. We have more detailed uh, data that we're actually using. And again, nobody even knows it exists except for the teams, which is great. So, well, I bet you a big thing with uh, with getting the players on board too is just communication, right? Sure. It yeah. comes down to a lot of it's just communicating what's going on. Like we, so me and Alex have started something that we do where we're, we're doing a free talk on workload with our athletes because as you could imagine, being an ex wrestler, MMA athletes and combat athletes tend to overtrain, not undertrain. Yeah. <laughs> so walking them through like, hey, you probably shouldn't have 
in a week, like we do RPE just because it's free for everybody. Like in a yeah. week, you probably shouldn't have 90 RPE points in four, like 14 different sessions. Like that's a lot of load. You probably need to scale that back. They're afraid of not working. But once you communicate like, hey, just try this for a couple weeks. See how much better your body feels. Immediately they snap in. Yep. I can imagine it's the same exact thing. Once you get comfortable with, oh, my workload, essentially you're just, you're managing workload, you're managing readiness, you're managing their performance just through optical and or GPS signals. And then you can adjust their workload from there or adjust their training from there. Their bodies are going to feel great. They're going to feel so much better. They're going to perform so much better because technology's cool. It gets people yeah. better. So, and then once they realize that they're going to buy in and it all comes down to their, like you said, their strength coach is just communicating, Hey, guess what? You need this. This is going to make you better. This is going to make you go from a good player to a great player, which yep. is the goal of everybody. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty. That's, that's the beauty of my real, my job is that that's all I do is talk to strength coaches and performance coaches all day, all around the world. And, uh, and you know, the good ones. And uh, the good ones are the ones that have a good rapport with the players and can can relay this data to the players in the right way that it's, you know, that they, they it's a positive. Um, so um, and, and I, there's there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of great guys that I could I could list off here that uh, um, you, you just can tell that has a good rapport with the players. They will buy in. In the other part, when you talk about load management, it's like we don't we talk about the load management but we talk about it as a big picture so we look at recovery we uh so i do a lot of recovery treatments we we do a lot of research on that uh at asu um okay. and then uh, i use uh, the aura ring uh, Heck yeah so uh, uh there's some other companies out there that i won't say that uh, we are <laughs> didn't pass our validation or ring uh you know i i don't work for them i don't i don't sell any product uh but i will have to say that I've had this on for almost three years now, uh, which I have a whole closet full of stuff that might have lasted some of them three days. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but this is oh, in September. This will be three years. Uh, which, so, um, so things like so we want to look at not just the loads, but we also want to look at all right. How does how does that load affect you? Because mm -hmm. um, I I mean we have we have a. a common uh, metric called mechanical load which really looks at the the work of the legs the number of accelerations decelerations but it's a weighted system so it's not just a simple count we weight what how it a hard acceleration and very hard deceleration it's a, it's a common one that we use a lot certain guys can handle very high mechanical loads it's like mm -hmm. i want to keep pushing them there. i don't want to back them off if they can handle it other guys can't handle it well how do we know we look at the recovery. We look at how they we do these assessments. Are they handling things? Are, are they other things trending down? Uh, their um, their intensity numbers starting to tread down because they're getting too much load. So it's a it's a give or take because everybody talks about load management. I don't want to push them too hard. Oh, I do. I want to crush them, but then I want to make sure I recover them so that I can crush them again. Uh, right. I don't want to just keep crushing. So yeah. recovery is huge for us. Amen. That's one of my like tenets of training or principles is like, we're not trying, you know, there's a lot of high day, low day systems or whatever. I want to be high on everything, but I want it to be high in the right category, right? We're going to go high on the recovery. So we're taking our recovery very seriously. We're not going low on it in a sense of we don't have to pay attention or we don't give it as much effort, right? So it's a hard effort on the recovery. It's a hard effort in the session or it's hard at 
whatever the the goal of that session is and just like you're talking about with, with some of the equipment as far as tracking your recovery scores and everything it's it's hard to find one that you trust right because yeah. i know i have a little bit of old school strength and conditioning coaching myself and and when i get a readiness score that i don't like you know screw that i'm training anyway <laughs> right? it's time to go to work i want to go to work we're gonna keep training so um it's it's uh builds confidence to hear you say that about the o-ring that you think it's accurate even after seeing a lot of the raw data too because um and my athletes are the same way right they're they're more insecure about losing a fight than they are confident in the data that whatever training device tells them right yeah. it's like time to go to work i'm gonna train regardless so i think that's important and like you said it's up to the strength coach it's up to the people in your corner to communicate and build trust in a relationship that this is giving me good data and this is going to lead to the best outcome. Yep. Well, so as a, as a metabolic guy, I have a question mm-hmm. for you. What is your favorite conditioning modality? All right. If you had, to, if you had to pick one conditioning modality to put in your gym, what would it be? Um, for me, it would be, I don't know if I, I don't know if I get the, so it used to be the um, aerodyne, but now it's called the assault bike. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Assault bike. There was uh, one answer and you picked it. <laughs> <That's a word>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely love. Uh, I, I bike a lot. I have. I use um, in my house here. I have a, a walk bike. I don't okay. know if you're familiar with the walk bike, but mm-hmm. I have the walk bike here, which I absolutely love. But if I had to add one more piece to it, because I and then I, I bike outside a lot, uh, mountain biking. Uh, yeah. But um, if I had to add one more indoor one, it would be the assault bike. So okay. yeah, adds a lot of versatility, and uh, and as Austin will attest to. Almost every practice included some assault bike sprints, whether they were curated to our wrestling style or not. Our coach was putting yeah. us on the assault bike, right? Mine were most yeah. definitely not related to my wrestling style. <laughs> so then, then the other one, are you guys familiar with the curve, the Woodway curve? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that would be my second choice because uh, I don't run, uh, mm-hmm. but I will run on a curve, intervals okay. on the curve. Um, so – that would be my other one that I would I would use. So there's a cool one I've seen recently, um, I, and I don't know if the curve has this, but there's a guy down. You might know him. Do you know Justin Wakefield? Uh, he works with some NFL guys down in Tempe, um, but he is partnered with this company called Aussie Fit Pros, and they have they it's it's like a curved treadmill, but they have mechanical resistance that you can add on top, so it's magnetic. So it turns okay. it in almost like into like a sled that got you're it. pushing on there. I'm like, that's yeah. a really cool idea. I got to look into that more. I just can't afford it right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, uh, Woodway made one for a while, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they still make it. Uh, but it's called the uh, the Force. Okay, that was the original one that we used at AP. That I that was what I used along with the Versaclimber. I, I always have to throw the Versaclimber in there as well. Um, yeah. it, but, I love training people on the Versa Climber. I didn't personally like it myself as much <laughs> as the Aerodyne. So, uh, but um, so, but the Versa Climber and the Force were the two pieces that I used the most for trying to, you know, mimic uh, the energy systems because okay. I generated very quickly. So, Heck yeah, talk to it. dude. I, I, I've been wondering. Talk to me a little bit about how AP was back in the day because I've heard stories. But you guys were an absolute powerhouse. You were the beginning of everything in high performance. That's got to be uh, so yeah. cool. It, it was it was the best time. Uh, you had some incredible coaches. Mark was on the floor. Mark Verstegen was on the floor coaching with us. Uh, Luke Richardson, uh, um, Daryl Etto. Uh, I mean, yeah. these guys are just uh, 
unbelievable coaches, Ken Croner. It, it was it was like a clinic every single day out there watching these coaches. If you wanted to learn about speed training, I didn't have to go to any clinic. I just watched Daryl Edo out there, you know, watching mm -hmm. things that I would have to watch on film. He picked up just he'd have the guy sprint by and he'd tell him uh, dorsiflexion in the left foot or things like that. And I'm like, what? And then I, I'd have to go back to film to see. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, but he, he was he was that's it was it was great. And the athletes that we had, you know, we had the top pick in the NFL draft five years in a row. Um, <laughs> so that's the quality that we had. But it was just fun. Uh, you had baseball players and combine guys there at the same time in January. And it, it was like a frat party most of the time. And she's like, yeah, they would be, they'd be taking each other on, but just yelling, it's just fun. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, but I mean, and obviously hard work. These guys played hard. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the, probably the um, most competitive I've ever seen anybody in that building was uh, the ping pong table. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. The guys are just going at each other. Uh, but now it was, it was, it's hard to describe because they were all elite athletes, but because they were all elite athletes, nobody had an ego. Uh, oh, and also the other thing was, is like, you didn't have the problem of motivating anybody to do anything. They were, they were coming there on their own. Um, so it's like when we would tell them, but the better ones, uh, I had, I had Mia Hamm, I had Abby Wambach, you know, so we, you could tell those elite um, players, soccer players, uh, Nika, Nikolai Habibul and a uh, goalie, uh, mm -hmm. they would always then quiz you. Not, not that they were questioning you, they would quiz you. they go, all right, Paul, why am I doing this? And then you, they wanted to know. So we explained exactly why I'm doing this today. And they go, okay, let's go. So they weren't just like, oh, let's do, do this. Just the really top elite ones, they always questioned you and, and, and wanted to know why. Um, so um, that, well, and that, and that was great. They always kept you. They always kept you on your toes. That's cool because it makes you a better coach. Because if oh, you yeah. can't, if you if you can't then relay that in non-scientific yep. terms, in just yep. in general athlete terms, then you really yep. don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. And then, if you can't make a complex topic simple, you don't know it. Yep. Say, okay, we're doing this. Oh, here's the big picture. This is what we're doing all week. This is why we're doing this today. And this is, and then like, oh, all right. And they they buy into it. And they're all out. Uh, yeah. It's great. And then, uh, you know, th those one minute, my big thing on Fridays. Uh, so we worked really, we did hard conditioning on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, but Fridays they knew was going to be 15, 20 minutes max. And they're out of there. So, yeah. that, so you have to read the room as well. You have to understand, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, it's like, okay, so, so Fridays, I knew I, I could get a lot out of them. I just couldn't, they couldn't be there for very long. Um, so, and uh, yeah. And no. insert the Versa Climber. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I had a Versa Climber challenge most of the time on Fridays. And they knew it. it's like, okay, okay. I could, they, and some of them, they, could, they would actually do the math and say, I can get out of here in 11 minutes. Okay, let's go. So, they, they knew they had to have so much, they had to get so many feet. That they had to cover. And it's like, okay, yep. if I did this the way he wants, uh, 11 minutes, I'm going to be out. Let's go. Said, yep, you're right. Uh, and you, yeah, you build a culture around it, right? Because then it yeah. becomes a game. Then it's become everybody competing. And that's like lightning in a bottle. That's like something I've been tra chasing in my coaching career is that the atmosphere that balances the hard work, the fun atmosphere. 
right? Because mm -hmm. that's hard to find, right? It's like oh, yeah. there's a yeah, there's a necessity of, of elite level talent. That's all right. We got to enjoy our training, and we know we're gonna go hard in. So yeah, that's a yeah. huge thing that uh, that I've noted in all of the elite or the championship programs that I've been a part of. It's like how do we, you know, for less of a, a factor rather than let it happen, how can we make it happen through our infrastructure of challenges? Like on your Friday, you know what's coming, you know you're going to compete and make that part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it was exhausting training that many, but yeah. you didn't feel that way because you, you, you were exhausted when you were like, oh, it's the end of the day. Okay, great. But when you're out there, you just, you get the uh, energy from that. Because um, you know, they, like I said, every half hour I got a new group, and it's like they were ready to go. Or if they weren't, I had to be ready to go to to, to motivate them. Like, yeah. yeah. And they came to me and said, like, "Paul, I'm exhausted." It's like, great. It's the end of the game. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, this this is what I want. So I had convinced them. It's like this is exactly what I wanted. Um, so, well, yeah. and what's cool too is what it seems like. Because so I've I've gone over to X, the new Exos a couple times. Um, so I worked with Altus last year. I was their uh, one of their healthcare guys um, before they moved to Atlanta. And going over there, you could tell that they have all of the elite athletes going through at Exos. Right, they, their combine prep is second to none. They're the best in the world. But they respect the coaches so much because they know those coaches are just as good at what they do as yeah. these players are at their sport. It's like they know they're they know when they step into that room they're expecting excellence and they know they're going to get it and it's yep. cool because Exos is known for that and that's something me and Alex eventually we we're gonna we want to open up a, a headquarters for building a fighter and I've tried to learn so much from Exos because you guys were a, you were an epicenter I'm also I'm a human geography nerd like I, I'm a nerd about a lot of different topics but epicenters are one of my favorite topics to study and dissect and really understand why certain things become popular and certain cultures can be created and why people are attracted to them. And Exos was, it, it made Phoenix the, the hub of fitness for so long. And that's something that can be replicated. It's just, you got to find the right people around there. It's not finding skills. It's finding people and teaching them skills, which is what Exos's intern program did so well. You got so many names. You got Brett Bartholomew coming out of there. You got Nick Winkleman coming out of there. Like you got Sue was one of the original five, but Sue's gone Ooh, on and done so, so yes. many different things. It's it's really cool to see that something was created because it gives people like us hope. Because we're like, oh, we we can do this too. This is something that can definitely be replicated and just put into a different lens for combat athletes. Which is at the end of the day why we have building a fighter is to make fighters better and give them a better standard of care, a better standard of treatment and a better standard for what their career should be. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. It, Mark did a great job putting together a great staff that there was, like I said, there was no egos on the players and there's no egos on the staff. Wow. It's like wow. everybody, we knew what our roles were and we, we, our whole goal was just to, uh, to help that athlete, and we all work. There would be times. Uh, uh, Darcy Norman's another uh, mm -hmm. uh, big name out there now. He's with the uh, national uh, soccer, the U.S. men's national team. Um, mm -hmm. But he, he was with the, the German national team, um, with a, a, a number of teams, uh, Bayern Munich. But uh, we would go out there. Ken Croner uh, and myself. Ken was the strength coach. Darcy was the physical therapist. I was the conditioning. And we'd go all at the same time. We, we'd end up, it's not like we planned it. We just end up being out there at the same time and working with a group. And we're all watching something different. I'm trying to get conditioning. 
Ken's making sure that the technique was right. And, and Darcy's like paying attention to make sure rehab and stuff, but we all worked very closely together. And it just, it was just felt natural for the three of us to be out there. It wasn't like mm-hmm. uh, somebody was checking on anybody else. It was like, Oh yeah, we're all doing and the And the players knew it. They're like, they would listen to all three of us because they knew all three of us were watching something different to help them. So it was, it was perfect. You're That's all different idea. puzzle pieces with different shapes, but guess what? They all got put together. It's exactly, exactly. And, uh, um, you know, and that's, that's how we all grew as coaches as well, learning off of each other. Cause I, I'm not a physical therapist, so I, uh, I would learn from them, but then, you know, from Luke and, uh, Ken and, and, and Mark himself and those guys, the strength coaches, they they were, they were great. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say that's gotta be a special bond of relationship and trust that, that allows that because, I mean, egos are one of the biggest problems in the field, right? But yeah. the more you can can seek to learn and understand from other people, the, the better, right? And it, it just helps when you know they're the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. And and again, because of the relationship we had, it was not, it was, you know, Sue Falsoni, you, you mentioned her, and it was like, I mean, that was, it's like just before uh, my session with somebody, I would just like walk by because of the way that the, the, the facility was open like that her tables right right there i just swing by real quick and i'd say hey i've got this guy this guy anybody that i need to watch out for this is what i'm doing today and you know in two seconds she can tell me he can't do that he can do that let's go so it was was just that type of relationship that everybody was just working together and uh the players didn't even didn't even know that we always had that communication going on all the time they just knew all right we come up we we knew exactly what they needed to do so that's great that's great I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned this earlier on in the podcast about your five phases of conditioning, right? And you, you ended it with the, the fifth one is our sports specific kind of phase. But could you do us a favor and kind of walk us through those five phases? Because once again, I hate to harken back to it, but I'm a little bit of an old school guy, you know, as far as aerobic base, you need to train and be able to handle the capacity of your training. So um, what are your five phases? How do you kind of look at those and, uh, yeah, just inform us on that. Well, you, you just you said phase one just now. It's work capacity. That's yeah. that's the most in depending on the off season and depending on the athlete, how long are you in that work capacity phase? Uh, but you gotta have that base first. If you can't make it through the the, the season, then it, it's it's worthless. So uh, yeah, so number one, phase one, uh, our first phase uh, is work capacity. Uh, then the second phase, um, and that, that is a lot of aerobic uh, base work at that point. Um, and, uh, and then the second phase is our um, increased anaerobic threshold. So we want to increase the anaerobic threshold, and that's going to be eventually working up to one minute, then eventually two minute type of intervals. Um, it's the fun so, time. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So we're, we're trying to build up that and move that anaerobic threshold up. Um, so then we're be ready to start getting into that at that point the first two phases i use a lot of equipment um uh, a lot of because it, it, it's early enough in the off season that i'm not pounding on the body yet i want to yeah. um uh, i want to just release release some stress but i still want to work on the cardiovascular system so uh, so in that case i might use bikes or the treadmills um uh, and, and uh, there's I don't want to say ellipticals because some of them that we use, um, the, the octane, uh, they 
were classified as elliptical, but to me it wasn't. It was it was a running machine without the the uh, the impact. Because yeah, I yeah. love octanes, but I wouldn't put you on some of these other ellipticals you know that you would see in a health club. Um, so, but um, so things like that, we'd use a lot of that trying to build up the anaerobic threshold. Um, and then we we'd go into now. Then we're going to we're going to get you off the equipment and we're going to go outside. And uh, our first is a linear. Uh, so our next phase is linear. So we're doing some sprints. Well, we'll actually start with a jog to a sprint. So if I I might start you off with you know a thirty yard jog and a ten yard sprint, um, and then eventually build it up, flipping it around. Then eventually we're, we're going to sprint and jog at the end, things like that. So it's a linear, straight linear runs. Um, and I'll be mixing up the the distances, uh, but I'm since I've worked myself up to those two minute intervals on like a uh, on a bike or whatever. Um, when I go outside, I want to do linear runs for two minutes. Again, I might jog for thirty seconds, run for uh, for ten yards, something like that, on and off like that, but for two minutes because I have that work capacity that I've moved up to yeah. two minutes. But now I'm gonna I'm gonna put some sprints in. I'm gonna start getting the legs to work. Um, so that's my linear. Uh, then the next phase is my favorite phase, um, and that's a multi-directional. So again, still going back to that two minutes, but now we're changing directions. I have a very, very simple six-cone drill that I do where you accelerate, decelerate, which is the most important part of the, the sport uh, uh, in most of our sports, uh, is the deceleration. Uh, then how can you change direction and, and accelerate out again? And doing that, you do that for two minutes, uh, and it's again, it's a accelerate, decelerate, uh, six cone type of drill where you're jogging back to start in again and doing so but and then we have a lot of variations off of it we will we'll add some stuff to it because that will eventually lead into sport specific um and then the sport specific is based on the demands of the sport so that would be my uh, fifth one is sport specific so uh, awesome i love the progression via modality right like so adding impact for the linear and then adding the multi-directional, which is we know is going to be more taxing on the body, acceleration, deceleration, eccentric forces going crazy. And then, yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah. Alex, Alex is all excited now. I can see it in his face. Dude, yeah, Who doesn't kinda, smile? You can see it in his eyes though. <laughs> I think that's going to be my new, uh, my new model for you. See, I've, I've worked a long time off of kind of the Joel Jameson ultimate yep. MMA conditioning, um, framework if you will and that's how kind of I've, I've looked at a lot of my progressions but i like this this model quite a bit yep yeah i know joel i know joel yeah. and, uh for years um so uh um yeah but i i no. specialize i specialize you know again on that uh, team sport type of you know yeah. eventually that sport specific became you know what what can i do with alignment uh you know and that's that was that was my, I loved working with linemen, offense and defensive linemen. They're the best. It, they work. They, they work just want to go. Afraid not afraid it, of it. And, and, and people just don't understand how quick these guys really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you, you, put a, you put a ladder drill down in front of some of these guys, they're 300, 350 pounds, and they can just, they can crush ladder drills. Uh, and mm-hmm. you, it's, it's actually pretty, it's pretty impressive how well these guys can move. So, um, yeah, I've been having one of my guys, he's, uh, he's on the Cardinals is one of their centers and he was doing, you know what a hip up is like, uh, from a kneeling, jumping to a squat, 
and then yep. up to a vertical jump. So I was having him do hip up, hip ups to verts just for a given time frame, and he was just able to keep. He's three twenty five. He's able to just keep repping this out. I'm like, how are you such a freaky athlete, bro? <laughs> like I, I'm one hundred and seventy pounds, and I can barely do this. Yeah, no, yeah. There's a reason. Yeah, that people don't know. They don't want to know. That's that's too scary. It's not fair that a, that large of a human can do that powerful of maneuvers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, and, and, that, and people Andrew, go well. Why are so many injuries in, in the NFL now? And you know why is concussion such a big deal? It's like you've got three hundred pound guys that can actually fly, yeah. and you know, and it's 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 not you know these little hundred and fifty pounder guys anymore. I mean, the guys who can fly are 300 pounds in, uh, in, in you know, 8% body fat. So it's like, that's that's a lot of power going against each other. So uh, unfortunately, yeah. we've made them bigger and stronger. So, I was going to uh, say, yeah, speaking of that point, that, that gets into kind of a big realm that I'm into. Uh, I did my master's in sports sociology. That is, so we're looking at a lot of the different cultures and communities that arise in sport. But one thing that I look at is like, where are we going, right? Because more of the sensationalism, the harder hits, the the breaking world records, like we're still up and up the ladder. It's like we've made these guys so big and strong and powerful. And I think Francis Ngannou is a great example of that in the heavyweight division of the UFC. Like that guy is the tippity top of, of a lot of physical athletic devo- development, right? So it's like, where are we going to like, where? what's the end? What's the next step? And maybe it's through technology and sports science. So maybe you have some hypotheses there, but it's like, what's the next step in our, our evolution of sport? What's the next step in our evolution of the entertainment via sport? That's a, that's, I think, an interesting question for me. Wow. That, that's, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, <laughs> predict, the future, predict the future for me, please. Yeah. I think, I think we'll have to think about that one and have another whole uh, podcast on that because that uh, it's, you know, I'm not, I have, People are asking me things like that. It's like, what, what, what's football going to look like in 10 years? It's like, I really don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know what the ceiling is because eventually it's got to flatten out somehow. Um, but, yeah, it's the rule changes and stuff are going to – it's going to dictate what the, the sports are going to look like. But yeah. – um, Man, yeah, I, I, I stand I by that a lot of it is going to – Personally, I think that a lot of it's going to go to the mental side. We spend so much time on the physical side of sport. I think the next great advancement we can make is really introducing sports psych into every single sport. That- I, I totally agree. And then uh, that has been something that we've discussed probably for the last 20 years. And I don't think we're any further ahead than we were 20 years yeah, ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's not widespread enough. Yeah. Cause, cause we had, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard the name Darren treasure, um, but we had him. He's a local guy. Now he used to be one of the guys that ran the Nike Oregon project. Um, but he's a big is sports psych guy and mental performance coach and having him on and hearing his thoughts and then also talking to the guys at the UFC PI and talking to everybody involved in sports psych. I'm like, how is everybody not doing this? How, how, how does every athlete not try to reach out and why, why do they just trust themselves? They don't program their own strength and conditioning. Why are you programming your own thoughts? That's dumb. <laughs> like, yeah. But something I, I think uh, you can talk to Paul is like, yeah, and we know, I'm sure being a coach, being with everybody in, in, in their metabolic or their conditioning sessions, how much of conditioning have you found to be mental? How much of it is a mental preparation into, you know, your effort and your outputs? Oh, it's, it's huge. Uh, if you don't have the right mindset, but it's, it's the mental, but I think it's also the 
coaching because okay. again, if, if this is this is the biggest problem I have, in, you know, in, in these uh, youth soccer, you know, or, or any of these, it's like I go out there and I see these because uh, I just my my daughters played sports and mm-hmm. um, and I'd, I'd go sometimes and watch and they're making these kids do these runs just just to do runs. Yeah, but but. It's not. These kids are, are not. They're they're thinking it is a punishment. They're thinking it is a negative. So yeah. they're not. They're not getting the mental toughness out that they think they are. Especially, especially this generation now. It's like the kids are like, oh, no, I'm not going to do. That. I'm going to do it at my level. It's like so they're not getting what they want out of it. Mm-hmm. So it, you you need to under the kids. I don't care how old they are, 10, 11, 12 year olds. You got to explain to them why are we doing this? Why do we do this? What, what, what do we do? So it comes down to the coaching. Then when they get that, and, and you, you know, the, the more more kids will buy into it. Now you're, they're going to get the mental toughness because now they're going to see. Okay, this is why I'm pushing. Um, but if if you don't, uh, if you just do uh, sprints. Just because that's what you've always done, you're, you're going to lose the kids weight real, real quickly. And you're in. More important, you're not going to get. The, the benefits that you think you're going to out of it, cardiovascular or mental toughness out of it. They're, they're going to resent doing it. So, Hey man, it's like, it's like two reasons in strength and conditioning that hang around for whatever reason that are the worst re- reasons to do anything is like one, because I said, so I feel like strength conditioning coaches do that all the time. And then it's like, because this is what I did. Yeah. Right. It's like, those, those are the worst reasons to do any conditioning, anything at all. But those are also some of the most prevailing reasons. Exactly, exactly, and yeah. So, and the the kids nowadays, they you know, there's they have so many other options to do things. They're not going to put up with it. And you, I see it uh, again. My my youngest daughter just graduated high school uh, this past year. She's off to college. Uh, so I just you know went through it. And, you know, I, I watch it. I I, I watch, if I go to a practice or a, go, a game, I'm watching different than what. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. And I, I'm watching all the players. I'm watching the attitudes of certain players on our team and the other team. Uh, so, have you ever had um, a coach rebuke you and, and, and tell you that uh, they're going to do whatever they want regardless? What? I'm sorry. What was that? Have you had a like a, when a her sport coaches maybe or another sport youth athletic coach rebuke you and tell you no, you know what you're talking about? We're going to do this. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I, I remember years ago when she was young, right? This one, the younger one's soccer player. We had to, the, this was at a club soccer, and yeah. we had to uh, go and train after practice on a, uh, a field far enough away that the coach couldn't see that we were there. And it was not well lit, so nobody could see that we were up there to do the things that she knew she needed to do. She need she knew she needed to do because she didn't get in practice. Uh, I don't know why minutes. I'm laughing because that's so sad. But what yeah, the hell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the worst part is we were more afraid. She, she wanted to do it. She wanted to improve. She wanted to do these things, but she was more afraid that the coach would see us doing this. Yeah. That's what she was afraid of. Yeah, so I was like of the work yeah yeah and it, it wouldn't have been a positive that she's doing extra it's been a negative because he's feeling that we're you know overriding yeah. him doing your own thing or not quote-unquote bought in or etc yeah yeah no but anyway no. well we're, well, we're getting off topic now yeah right now we're just I like it though but that's the point of these talks um so paul what if you had any 
we'll say advice first. I want to do advice. I want to do books for young coaches as somebody that's been in the game for a while and was one of the cutting edge at the beginning and still cutting edge now. What's some advice you'd give to young coaches or young therapists that are trying to get into sports performance? You, you've got to, you got to go and see what other people are doing, right or wrong. You just yeah. got to go and, 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 and observe other coaches, meet with other coaches, uh, listen to what their philosophies are, and then take the best pieces that you like and put it together and, and become your own. But if you go and learn a system, um, you, you know what, you're going to get stuck. You can't get stuck in it. You got to you gotta go and observe. And, and that's the only way I can say it. It's not, it's not reading a book. It's not uh, you know, more classes. You've got to go and observe other coaches, how they do things. Uh, and again, you might go and you know watch a coach coach that is absolutely horrible, but you're going to learn <laughs> uh, that this is this is not the right way. But for the most part, you're going to go out and and, um, and learn a lot uh, from them. So uh, uh, that's what I, and other sports. So and, and and go to other sports, not just your sport. If you if you're a wrestling coach, you know what? Go to basketball. Go to volleyball. Go, go to something completely different because you're going to see something and go, oh, wait a minute, I can bring that into mine. So uh, that's that's what I really, really push these the younger kids to do is to get out there and, uh, uh, and see other people. So yeah. I was, that's you're, funny you said that. I was so mind blown because I, I never did track. I'm not fast. Like I am, as, I'm probably the slowest person that I know. And watching the Altus guys and learning about track and field, like, uh, they have they had Aries Merritt there at the time, who's the world he's the world record holder for the 110 meter hurdles. So talking to him about the fine-tuned details of getting like 0.02 off of your 110 meter hurdles compared to normal MMA fighters that are just talking like, yeah, I just go out there and if I walk into the cage about 60%, I'll probably beat the dude in front of me. That's really all I care about. And the completely different ideas completely changed me as a coach. It's it's opened my lens like crazy. So I love that. Yeah. But br- bringing it back to you saying that books books suck. What did I miss? When, when did that happen? What? No. Um, so do you have, in all seriousness, do you have any books that you would recommend to people out there? Um, I, I'm I'm actually going to probably go in a totally different direction with this. If I read a book, it's not. I I, I read a lot of research articles. Okay. So I I do read a lot of research articles. Um, but as far as a book goes, I like to go in other directions as well. Uh, you know, uh, but it may be, but it's still sports. I, I mean, I just, uh, bo- the boys in the boat, I think it was called boys in the boat. Uh, I just finished that one. Uh, it, it's, it's about, um, 1936 Olympic rowing team. Uh, that I guess I don't want to spoil everybody, but actually they yeah. talked about it for the they, they they won the gold medal and the thirty six Olympic. And, but the difference between them and this is a, a team uh, out of Washington, uh, state of Washington, and uh, versus the Ivy League kids at that time, um, it was just fascinating. But it was something. It was a totally different sport that I really didn't know too much about. Uh, but it was just that type of a story. So I still I, I read about sports. Yeah. Uh, but more history type of things like that. That's, uh, that's yeah. what, that, uh, that's what I like. So, uh, so I go t- to the extreme. I still like to read sports stuff, but, um, but not really a technical manuals and stuff, uh, yeah. or, or books. 
but uh, more on. Uh, but if I if I want to do that, then I'm going to go into research. I'm going to. Okay. Uh, are you that. Are you familiar with the book Range by um, David Epstein? I believe. Uh, I don't think so. That that's something that you're. I'm God. I'm trying to remember if it's actually David Epstein that wrote it. It yeah. Um, it is. Okay, so I'm right there. Good. Um, but no, that's a lot of what you're describing here is getting multiple experiences and learning to think for yourself and piece the, the pieces together to truly become great at your craft. Um, and that's something that, that I've really, I think, found through happenstance in a lot of my internships and careers. But I think you're, you're articulating it very well as far as gain your experiences, learn from your experiences, and then apply that to your current situation. I think that's the, the pinnacle of coaching or being a master at whatever you're doing. Yeah. That was that was the book that compared Tiger to Federer, correct? Yeah, that was yeah, a okay. continual theme throughout the book. But gotcha. um, yeah, long story short, Tiger Tiger Woods, right? Uh, golf through and through, you know, putting on the show when he's two years old, right? To, you know, the projection of his career, which he achieved greatness, right? At a cost, right? And then Roger Federer playing multiple sports all the way, I think, in, I think in the book, I think until he's 17, yeah, his playing. mom, his mom wouldn't let him play tennis till he was, I think, sixteen or something like that. And it ends up being one of the best in the world of tennis. And you know, you can track the greatness record, or you can do whatever you want, but has arguably had a more successful life. Yeah, uh, and and again, uh, yeah, that cross training uh, to me is is huge. So it's cross training for coaches, but I believe in in uh, for the athletes as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, I grew up a long time ago, so. Uh, we, we, the small town that I lived in, we, you had to play multiple sports because uh, we're the only people in the school. Uh, no, the, the <laughs> and arguing my coaches, he's like, we only get a, a certain amount of good athletes through our school, so you have to play all sports. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. And I wasn't even a great athlete, but uh, they still had. I, I was, I was still a number that, that they needed. That's uh, great. But uh, yeah, it, but I, yeah, big advocate of that. Um, and uh, you know, so yeah. Both the athletes and the coaches should be Heck yeah. learning multiple. Love it. Sweet. Well, Paul, you got anything anything else you want to talk about? Any burning topics? Wow, I think I gave everything I have. Man. That was pretty good. You guys drilled me pretty good. That was good. Heck yeah. Man, you, did, you handled it super well. That was a very fun interview to do. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It was great to meet you too for the first time, by the way. So I appreciate you. Right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. For sure. I appreciate you, my man. So for everybody listening, uh, this is Dr. Austin Shane. If you got to get in touch with us, all of our information is going to be in the show notes. So both our emails and our Instagram. Paul, if people need to get in touch with you, is there a preferred way that you would choose? I know you said you're not a big social media guy. Uh, I'm actually no social media guy. Really. <laughs> I'm a fan of that, too. I'm a fan of that, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the best way to get a hold of me is, uh, the old fashioned email. Um, <laughs> and so, and, uh, sweet. Ever, and we could just so, link that in the show notes, whichever one you want us to throw in there. Um, yeah, just, uh, yeah. Yep. That's fine. The, the cool. Robins underscore P at MSN.com. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. So, Okay. And then for, again, for the listeners, if we do have those strength conditioning programs at buildingafighter.com, as well as the low back program and a cervical spine or neck program coming up here in the near future. So be on the lookout for that. And if you need any strength conditioning needs, we do have that at buildingafighter.com. It's Dr. Austin Shane. It's Alex Friedman. And Paul Robbins. Thank you very much. And we are out. Thanks.